told you we were going to do a children's story next. So I hope you came here as a child would. I know that if we were children, after that lunch, we would get out our little nap mats. (laughs) So don't pretend you're that much of a child. So this is a story called The Story of the Potter King and His Clay. Is this, can you hear me? All right. Okay. This is the story of a potter king who loved his clay very much. His greatest joy was to dig up lumps of clay and then take each piece through the long process of becoming a beautiful vessel that he could use in his kingdom. To each creation, he would give a name befitting its purpose and its worth. Some of his work might seem tedious and just a bit beneath the job description of a potter king, but he would spend endless hours bent over his creations, lovingly but forcefully creating one unique piece after another. On a particularly dark day, one of his finest creations rebelled, stormed out of the castle, taking quite a few with him. This creation, beautiful as he was, had taken himself too seriously, decided his beauty and his purpose were going unnoticed, and vowed to make himself greater than the potter king, his creator. Not only would he someday rule this kingdom, but he also would take as many other clay vessels as he could with him. The potter king named him Once Lovely. The potter king continued to work heedless of this threat. He formed a new kind of vessel. He created a special environment that was fit perfectly for them. Now these would be vessels that would honor him and love him. And out of his great love, he put in these vessels the special gift of choice. Not wanting to demand their love, he allowed them to choose him as their potter king. All the while knowing that his once lovely creation was vying for their allegiance. Everything seemed to go well with his first two vessels until once lovely stepped into the picture and whispered doubt about the Potter King's goodness. And then they too chose the way of once lovely. The Potter King kept on creating vessels hoping that some would choose his difficult but loving way. He even gave them the 10 rules for happy clay living. Then he would gently but firmly take them through the process of refining and wedging, throwing, firing. He taught them how to respond at every stage, but none of them would follow his directions. Each of them, in their own chosen time, would decide for themselves how clay should live. And then each would collapse, unable to fulfill the 10 rules for happy clay living. Well, one such piece of clay, by the name of patience, not so much, wanted to skip the long dunking in water, and although the waiting and thought the waiting process was too long. Then there was an angry clay that hated that wire that sliced her in half. There was another especially sassy clay said she liked air bubbles and stones inside her clay, it made her life exciting. One clay was incensed at the slamming down on the wheel, and she expressed her feelings. Once Lovely whispered to her, a loving potter would never slam you down so hard. 
Another adventurous soul decided that the Potter King was, take, was making too big a deal out of being centered on the wheel, really. So she purposely sat to the side of the wheel, and oh, for a few short moments, that ride through the air was a thrill till she landed in a splat on the wall in the corner. There were just a few who were able to, by sheer perseverance, to stay on until they'd been shaped on the wheel, but then they got bored while they waited to become that hard, leathery stage. Those that hung on till then bailed out when they saw the sharp instruments that the potter placed on the table next to them. They watched as the potter king placed their fellow vessels back on the wheel, upside down this time. He held them to the wheel with other clay pieces. It appeared as if they were against their wills. As if this weren't enough, the potter king started up the wheel. And as the vessel spun, he took knives and cut deep into their leathery flesh. And he peeled layers of good clay. And then he threw it in a pile. Well, what came next was beyond imagination. There was a fire that grew hotter all the time. The Potter King would gently, and I say gently as if to mock them, they assumed, he would gently place them into this fire and then close the door. In time, he would add more fuel to increase the heat, and they began to question amongst themselves why. Why? This was the Potter King who so often told them that he loved them. He would tell his clay of how he delighted them. He would sing over them. He would dance over them with Why was he so cruel to put them in the fire? None of them stuck around long enough to see what was going to emerge from that fire. They couldn't bear to see what had become of their friends, those poor vessels in the fire. Why, those ones, they were the ones that tried their hardest to follow the ten rules for happy clay living. Alas, just as they expected, there was an explosion inside the fire. At least one, maybe all, had perished. No, No, they knew this Potter King did not love them. He was trying to ruin their lives. He was trying to stop all their clay fun. There was some cruel plan to dig them out of their beautiful decomposing process deep within the earth and then make them suffer. They were sick of his promises, sick of watching the horrendous process because they knew better. No, they knew more. Yes, they knew more than the Potter King himself. They would decide from now on how clay should live, and once lovely in the shadows danced with delight. Then it happened. Before their very eyes, that is those eyes that were still watching, the potter king mysteriously took a part of himself and formed it into clay deep within the earth. While those who were even the least bit interested watched the potter king dig up this new potter clay He began the process of soaking and drying and pounding. A few watched with interest as he added water to make the dust plastic. And then, with his own hands, he pushed and pulled in a circular motion. There was no need for extra water, for the sweat of the Potter King's brow and the tears from the Potter King's eyes gave the clay all the moisture it needed. He broke this new clay again and again with the same metal wire, Although the Potter King knew this clay had no air bubbles, no stones, the same cruel process was used on his own Potter clay. 
It was as if this potter clay knew the 10 rules for happy clay living instinctually. With each new part of the process, he kept his eyes on the wheel, almost as if he were strangely longing for it, knowing that he would lose all sense of shape and form if he submitted to the potter king's hands. Slam. Slam, down went this potter clay onto the dead center of the wheel, and then the spinning started. The firm hands of the potter king pressed ever so tightly against the potter clay, pressing to his very core. Just when the pressure seemed too much to bear, a new, stronger, more penetrating sensation was placed on his head. The potter king's thumb seemed to drill through the potter clay's very being until it reached the soles of his clay-anchored feet. That was when the potter clay gave in to the pressure. It looked as if he were turning inside out. And with the potter king's hands, he began to rise into a new shape. There was no imperfection in this clay, no air bubbles, no stones, not even a grain of sand, for this was part of the potter king himself. Of course, this clay would make it through. This clay was free of blemish, yet the very hands that formed him removed his hands from the clay, turned his face from the potter clay, and allowed him to collapse on the wheel. In a room filled with silence, by now everyone was watching, the potter king cut the potter clay free from the wheel and placed him on the table, then lovingly covered him with a towel. Silence from all except for once lovely who danced with glee at the failed love plan. Now, once and for all, the clay would see that the potter king truly wasn't all loving or even all powerful. Once lovely had won. Now the clay would leave this kingdom and follow him. For what seemed like an eternity, the potter king sat and watched. Then in one mysterious moment, the potter clay got up. This time, he skipped the wheel altogether. He went straight for the kiln, and he took once lovely and his followers with him. Oh, there were explosions this time. No one really knows exactly what happened, but the potter clay emerged, followed by a much smaller once lovely behind him. Poor, frightened, once lovely had survived the explosion, but he was much weaker somehow because of it. No longer could he whisper directly into the ear of the clay pieces. He was sent to the corner for a specific amount of time and told in no uncertain terms by the potter king, make no mistake about it, your time is limited. He was allowed to shout from the corner, but one day he would go to his own kiln forever, never to emerge again. The potter clay was reunited with his potter king, and from that time on, the whole process has changed. The potter king showed his love for his clay by actually living the clay's life. He changed everything when he went to the wheel himself. Now, the clay don't need to fear the wheel or fear the kiln. And many will choose to go to the wheel themselves. When they go, this is what they say in a sense, I freely choose to place myself on the potter king's wheel. 
as an act of obedience and identification with my potter creator, my potter redeemer, my potter king. Because of his great love and sacrificing himself, I choose to live in the potter king's house forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for children's stories that reveal truths in our lives. Father, would you um, soften our hearts as we listen to the very last phase? Would you show us where we are in this process, each one of us as individuals? Lord, sometimes you have whole churches or people groups or nations in one place in the process. So if that is so, would you show us that truth too? Father, we pray that we will only hear from you and see your truths. And we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. So you, my friends, my new friends, some old friends, have just been through what the seminary students call an intensive we have these classes for some ungodly reason or another that end up being over weekends. They start, some of them start Thursday night, go all day Friday and all day Saturday. And you do that two or three times a semester and the class is over. But so is your life, actually. Um, it's, it's usually we, all we do is eat and listen to one professor the whole time. We don't have wonderful worship or great fellowship time when we're in those classes, um, but you do get a lot of information poured into your head. The problem is you don't have time to process. So I'm asking you when you go home, if you look at your notes, if you would process at home um, during your devotions, during your quiet time, and, and find out what the Lord has to say to you because I feel like we have just condensed everything into such a short time. God has things he wants to share with you that I probably didn't even say. So um, he wants to speak to you about the potter and the clay. Allow him to do that. So we have uh, passed the, we have gone through all of these stages. God has created each of us. He dug us out of our mother's womb. He has refined us. He has wedged us. He's given us the chance to make a decision on the wheel to accept his death and to lay down um, parts of us that has to die. And so now we're at the time where the clay gets fired. Um, and that's not fired in the Donald Trump sense at all. Um, so you have, uh, under session three, we didn't do the Jeremiah. I'm going to fill in the blanks for those of you that need blanks. Um, let me go back to that. Jeremiah 18, I had, I had read that to you. And uh, the potter's house, how does the clay get marred? I re you remember I said at the very beginning how difficult that was for me as a child that God would squash us in his hand. Um, and as I read the stories in the books about pottery, I found that there were several reasons that a clay would be marred as the potter was holding it. One was that the process wasn't done correctly that the potter had not taken out all of the stones or the air bubbles. And, and so um, it was the potter's fault that the clay was marred. The second um, was that it was just really bad clay that should never have been used. 
And the third was that the clay was just unworkable and needed some more work. And so I have ruled out the first two as far as what Jeremiah was talking about. There is no clay that is beyond being able to be used. And we certainly know that our Heavenly Father makes no mistakes when creating us. And so it is not that the potter is at fault or or uh, a clay is too far gone. Remember, you can always put clay back with mature clay or new clay to, to get it ready for the wheel again. And so what it means is the clays become unworkable. And so the potter has to either change what his original plan was or take the clay back to a beginning process and, and start over again. So that's your, that's your fill in the blanks for that. Let's go back to the kiln now. There's some fascinating things about God's word and fire. I just love some of the analogies that, that God has for this. If I can get to that page in my notes. All right. So once the potter cuts the the clay off the wheel, he actually lets it sit for a time and mature again and get to kind of a hard leathery stage before he puts it in the kiln because it's still too soft. The clay is soft at that point. Tender, maybe we could say, after it gets off the wheel. And so God doesn't, or the potter doesn't start out putting... um, clay into fire until it, it, it's time, until it's the right time. And so for us, as we tell this story, the fire is the kiln. It's not our own sins. It's, it's not um, Satan trying to take us down. The kiln is, is our life that we live as Christians and all of the trials that will come against us, the tests and the trials, that are not necessarily God-directed. They just happen because we live in a fallen world. But God uses all of those trials and tests to, to uh, prepare us for how he wants to use us as clay. Now, let's fill in the blanks. So in our analogy today, kilns are not for sinners, they're for saints. When we go into a kiln, a time of testing, it's not, um, all of these are not Satan or it's not, um, you're not in a kiln because of your actions, your sins. The kiln is where we get tested as Christians and you're probably in some testing Right now, I would imagine, um, if you've lived life, um, here are some of the things that a good potter knows. The potter knows exactly how hot to make the fire or to allow the fire to be in your life. The potter knows you well enough to know how hot the fire needs to be. The second thing is, He knows at what stage your clay hardens. A good potter knows, because he's worked so long with the clay, he knows exactly how long that clay needs to be in fire. And and he will arrange everything around that. He knows how hot to make the fire. He knows how you will harden as clay and grow in your trials. And... He knows that some clay will not reach hardness unless the kiln burns at its hottest. There are some clay 
that will not reach maturity without the kiln burning at its highest. And a good potter knows that. Failure in the kiln is not the potter's fault. The, the potter, or God, doesn't put us into trials and then stand outside going, hmm, is she going to blow? Is she going to blow? I don't know. I'm worried about this one. This looks like this could take her down. He's not testing himself. He's not testing us and our faith. But he is allowing us to look at our faith and find out what we're made of. The the testing is for us to test our faith for us, not because God's wondering, but because we need to see ourselves walk through trials, walk through fire, walk through floods. And we need to see God prove himself over and over and over again and be able to sing no matter what's going on. It is well, it is well with my soul. This is something interesting because the Christian life is not an individual life. Christianity is not about one Christian here, one Christian here, one Christian here. We are to be Christians in community. That's how we grow. That's how we mature. And so when we are fired or tested, there are always people around us. So lots of pots, let's say a church, if a church goes through a difficult time, you're all in this fire together. You're all being fired. You're all being tried. Or a family is all being tried together. So that if there's a failure in the kiln, in this firing, this time of testing, your failure, my failure, The person next to me, their failure, it affects every one of us. So if a pot is in the kiln, is in testing, and explodes, guess what happens to the pots around them? There's there's fallout, isn't there? I want you to say this aloud with me. My sin affects others' lives. My sin affects others' lives. My moral failure, my mess-ups, my loud mouth, my unkindness, all of the things that I'm being tested about, when I fail, somebody else suffers along with me, don't they? Have you ever been a part of a pot exploding? Have you ever had someone's moral choices, someone's sinful behavior affect you in a negative way. It's because we walk this Christian life and we walk with with a lot of other people who are not yet Christians too. Anytime one of us as a Christian fails, it affects many. There are ripples, aren't there? There are broken pieces of pottery everywhere, shattered people. And Only the good potter. In in real life pottery, you don't fix that very easily. When when you lose a whole grouping of pots that that are blown up because of that. So what is it that happens? Does anybody know why a pot would explode? Anybody know pottery enough? In the kiln. Yes, it's air bubbles. It's it's something that wasn't taken care of back at the wheel. So if there are air bubbles, um, it's not the actual wound or bubble 
that's in the clay, it's what gathers inside that wound. Now, I want you to think about that in some spiritual terms. It's not the actual wounding. It's not the actual air bubble that would cause it. But in an air bubble, moisture will gather. And as that moisture heats up, we were just talking about this, as, as water um, expands, moisture expands, it will disintegrate things. It will act like a, like a time bomb. Um, so tell me about that in your Christian life. How many of you have been wounded, have been hurt, or have had an area in your life like anger or any other type of thing that is something you've taken on that has hurt your relationship with the Lord, you've not taken care of that at the cross, or let's just say someone you know. Let's not talk about ourselves, okay? That's, that's a little too painful. How many of you know a friend that has not laid something down at the center of the wheel? And in a difficult time, in a trial, in, in life's roughest moments... That one thing that wasn't laid down has exploded inside of you. Or that painful experience, that wound that happened to you as a child that, that hasn't been brought before the blood of Jesus will at the worst, at the hardest moments, will blow sky high and will take out other people's lives too. Um, and so God doesn't want that to happen. And so God will take us back if we will allow him, will take us back to the cross and encourage us to lay those places down. That's one of the reasons why Sue is here with her team because there's areas in all of our lives that have to be taken back to the wheel, taken back to the, to the refining part, taken back to the wedging board so that God can work before we get into trials, before we get into the really hard times in life so that we don't hurt ourselves and those we love and the people that, that walk with us in this Christian life. James 1.15. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That's a good picture of how something small that's either happened to us or something in our life that we've not taken to the cross will give birth to a greater thing and a greater thing and eventually causes death. Here's another example of that. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. I can't think of a better picture than that. Something terrible happens to you or to someone you love, and then bitterness gets in there like moisture. And instead of taking that to the cross, instead of walking in forgiveness, instead of dealing with that way back in the process, we allow it to grow and fester and build. And then eventually it will blow. It will um, grow and fester. It will cause trouble and defile many. I think that's a good picture of that. So we look at the kiln, and I wonder if as you're picturing it, you're picturing God with, you know, one of, one of those boards looking at the dials. Is, is that how you're seeing it? You're inside the kiln, and God's out there adjusting temperature. He's got goggles on, and, and um, he's going, oh, wow, she's, she's really mm, not doing so well. Let's turn it down and give her, give her some, some cool-off time. 
that isn't the God that we serve. He's not on the outside of the kiln, and we know that because of the story in Daniel with the three youth. And we know that he walked into the fire with them. I think that's such a beautiful example of a kiln is the three youth being thrown into the fire by King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and the king looks in there after he's made it hotter and hotter and hotter and the trials have gotten worse. And he looks in and he says, didn't we throw in three? How are there four walking around now? And this fourth one looks like the son of man. And he calls them out of the fire and he sees that they're not bound up, that, they're, that their hair's not burnt. They don't even smell like fire. I love that. I mean, you can't even sit near a campfire without smelling like fire um, when you go home. These, these three youth come out of this burning, burning fire. And, and it's because God, the potter, through Jesus, the son, has walked in to the fire with them. There's just so many scripture after scripture after scripture. And I've listed some of the scripture that talks about how fire symbolizes trials in our life. You know, when the New Testament was being written, they were walking in persecution. People were dying. Um, they were out after Christians. They were crucifying them. They were, they were corralling them. And, um, and so when they talked about this type of life, this type of trial, they, they talked about it in Peter and, and um, some of the other passages as a trial, as fire. So the kiln... Not for sinners, but for saints. Now, much of pottery gets a second firing. It's not the same. Um, what they do is they glaze the pottery. If you've ever seen that really pretty shiny pottery, it gets glazed. I just wonder, we're using our imagination here. I just wonder if that second firing is not about trials or temptations, but it's about the, the second act of of grace of the Holy Spirit coming into our life. Maybe, maybe when we re-enter the fire after the glaze, maybe the glaze are the gifts of the Spirit or, or the fruits of the Spirit or all that God wants to bestow on us as a Christian as he uses us in the world. There's, just, there's so many um, stories of God meeting Moses in fire, Elijah taking off in a flaming chariot. And, and I just, I went through all of scripture and found that the Holy Spirit is always involved in fire. So how do we get ready to be used? How do we go through those, those trials, those fires in our life? And what exactly does it do? Well, the key is that clay, when it's in the earth, do you know what the purpose of clay when it's down in the, the depths of the earth, what, why God created clay? What? Oh, that's, that's true, after we dig it up. But when it's way down there, its purpose is that it holds water. Because other soil lets water go through. And so there will be formations of clay in all different parts. And it holds the water so that the plants can grow and new life can come. And so as God is taking us through this whole process and even firing us, I believe that his purpose for us is to offer the living water into other people's lives. And so it isn't until he takes us through this process at least one time 
that we can offer the living water of Christ to the other people in our lives. So we walk through these trials. We go through this whole process so that we can glorify God, live in his fellowship, and then bring others into, into the community of Christ, into the body of Christ too. There are also some really other cool things that fire does. They're um, porcelain. You know that porcelain is fired at a much higher heat than earthenware. Maybe you didn't know that. I didn't know that before I studied this. Earthenware doesn't have to be fired a whole lot. And you can tell it's kind of um, a more gritty feeling when you're using earthenware. But porcelain, which is the noble purposes, porcelain, has to be fired at an extremely high heat. And much of porcelain is, is almost primary clay. Um, it's, it's the finest of bone china. What they, would, what they call this is porcelain has to get to a very certain temperature, and then it's become china. Then it's become porcelain. And they call that point vitrification. And what they say about vitrification is you know that clay has been vitrified when you can strike it and it makes a musical sound. So ladies, I'm asking, has your life been vitrified? Have you been through enough fire, enough heat, that when someone strikes you, only music comes out of you? Now, I can't say that happens all of the time to me when I'm struck or even rubbed up against by somebody that's sandpaper. Um, But the truth is that God wants each of us to come to that point in our process that even if we're struck, even if we're talked about, even if we're lied about, even if we're betrayed, even if we've been harmed, that what comes out, what rises out of us is this musical note that glorifies God. It may not seem beautiful to you, but as you've heard these stories this weekend, those are musical notes that came out of a life of pain and trials and heartache. A musical note that when someone hears it, it draws them closer to Christ. That's the process that we're all in, ladies, to glorify God. So I ask you, where are you in this process? Are you, are any of us to the point where we're simply just being used by God? That's, that's us. We don't walk through temptations anymore. We have no trials. We don't need that wire in our life anymore because God just says, go, go, go. I'm using you. You are fine. You've gotten there. You've arrived. Or... Or are you, being, are you in the midst of a sieve right now where, where God's taking out granular impurities? Or, or are you just realizing that God's been wooing you and drawing you and calling you into his presence for years now and you never knew it was him? Or are you on the wedging floor where you're sensing this pull towards that wheel. You know that that's coming. You know that either he's calling you to accept salvation for the very first time or he's calling you to lay down something in your life, to crucify something that 
you think you've needed all of this time, and he's saying, it's time to lay it down. Or maybe he's still pulling twigs out. Maybe you've gone around the process one or two times, and you're back to realizing, I've been carrying these leaves around with me for years, trying to fill places inside of me that, that were painful. And, and God is calling you to um, allow him to tenderly, gingerly, those out of your life. I'm going to show you a couple pictures here um, while Lauren is going to show them to you. That's the wedging floor. I don't know if you can see. This is, when, this is my one beautiful moment in the sun being a potter. Um, he actually has a wire and is slicing the, the clay to use it. There's the wire. Can you see it? That's on the wedging table right there. There I am, wooing my, <laughs> wooing my clay. I'm drawing it, getting it ready to go to the wheel. That's really hard, by the way. It's, it's not very soft and, and formed. Um, that is a mess. That's a lot of what I did was a mess like that. That... Uh, there, I just sliced up a bunch of the clay because I couldn't get all the bubbles out. So that's me going crazy with the wire. That is my first bowl. <laughs> that is not what God does when he creates pieces of art. That's my, that's my second or third time through. I actually centered it that time, which is much more difficult than you can imagine. That is, uh, those are pots getting ready to go into the kiln. They're in that rest period. Maybe you're in a rest period right now, um, waiting and, and not to send fear, but eventually there'll be another trial. There'll be another kiln that, that God will take you through. Okay, now this is really interesting. I, I, how many of you know what this is? I can't even say it. Kintsukuroi. That's my Japanese. Um, a young woman who's one of my boys' age wrote a blog about this. She was in a very terrible skiing accident. And so she talks about the pain in her life. But this is, um, this is fine art in Japan. And so let's say you're a piece of clay that's become a beautiful bowl, and then you're shattered after all of this process, after the good potter has had you through all of this process and has lovingly placed you into the kiln, and you survived the kiln, and you came out, and you're being used in ministry, and you get shattered by something that happens in your life. Now, in the life of real clay... And in fact, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they had heaps where they would, right outside the city, they would throw old clay that had broken. And it was so easily made and it didn't cost very much money. So they would, they would throw these potsherds out and they just became refuse. They were, they were never used again. But in Japan, they would take a piece of pottery and they would repair it using gold or silver lacquer. And they would put it back together, and the gold would hold all of the pieces together. And the understanding is that the piece is more beautiful for having been broken. Sometimes as Christians, we have trouble with this, don't we? 
we watch someone go through pain, maybe because of their own choices, maybe because of someone else's choice that has, has ripped them to pieces, and we just leave them there in, in that brokenness. Now, if it's someone else's fault, we're a bit more kind, but we still kind of see them as broken. And in this picture, I love this picture because I believe this is truth, and it's God's truth, that even in our brokenness, that God will begin the repair, and he won't just use crazy glue or Elmer's glue or concrete. He'll use gold and silver and all that is beautiful to put our pieces back together with the understanding that in our brokenness, pieced back together by God himself, we are more beautiful because of the brokenness. How many of you have experienced brokenness and then were able to walk in other people's brokenness because of it? Yeah. I never really had hoped I would have a word for people in grief. That was never my plan in life. Remember, I wanted the gift of shallowness. And in a lot of ways, I still have it. I've I've concluded. But God will take our brokenness. We are never beyond God's touch. We never step outside of this process, none of us. And we always walk this process in community. And so I want you to sit. We're going to have a little bit of quiet time. We're also going to do some worshiping. And I want you to think. I'm going to be asking you in a few minutes where you see yourself. Maybe we'll have a, a, a raise of hands. But for a few moments, let's sit and allow God to speak to you. Where are you? Are you broken? Are you in need of the touch of the potter that he's the only one that can do that kind of mending? No psychiatrist, no counselor, no pastor can do that kind of mending. Now, God will use them, but only God can bring us back to wholeness when, when we've been shattered. So where are you? I want you to, if you need to, just look at this process and, and really ask the Lord. You might think you're somewhere and God's saying, no, that's not it at all. Let me share with you where I see you in this process. So let's pray for just a minute. Father, we thank you for your truth, your truth that's found in your word. Your truth is found in creation. Your truth is found even in books that were not written by Christians. Your truth is found in each other's lives. Your truth is found in our experiences. Your truth is found in your presence. So Lord, we come into your presence and we ask, Father, would you speak truth into each of our lives today? Lord, would you point out where you have us in this process? And Father, even why? Lord, we don't need to know what the next step is. We don't need to know where we go after this. We simply want to know that we are in your hands, in your good and kind and loving hands. So Father, we will sit in your presence for the next few moments and allow you to speak to our hearts. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.